Last week, I initiated a series, if you will, the Come and See series, and last week's title was A Man Called, or A Man Called John. Not a man called John, but a man called John. Okay? So a little distinction there with a, a, a comma in the sentence. And I actually have eight points. There was eight points with that sermon, and we only got to two of them. This morning, we're probably only going to get two more. And it is Communion Sunday, so we'll be coming to the communion table at the end. I, I want to note that in the first handful of verses, and there are, there's, you know, a lot of verses in this, uh, in this chapter, some 34, well, it, it's even, let's see, how many verses do we have total? Yeah, 51. In this first 34 verses, there's a whole section on this guy, John the Baptist. But it's interesting in the first 18 verses, it seems like interjected in the midst of this eternal genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, John the Baptist is just kind of like inserted in there by the Holy Spirit inspiring the writer, John the Apostle, to put that in there. And so we picked up on those few verses, and I want to read these verses again. We're reading 6 through 8 and then verse 15. And those these are the ones we're focusing on because it's John the Baptist, a man called, a man called, whose name is John. Verse 6 says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Let's read that again, that all Say all with me, all, that all through him might believe. If you ever wonder what the mission of God is, that all would come to repentance, as Peter reminds us in his epistle, that all would come to repentance. Here we see it's his mission that all through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. How many men does it give witness to, or give that light to? How many? Every man. Every man coming into the world. How many men? Every man. This answers the question, what about those folks in the remote jungles? What about the folks in the remoteness of the savannas of Africa? What about the remoteness of the folks in India, deep amidst whereverville? Fill in the blank of Idaho. <laughs> Wherever it may be, this answers the question. The light is being revealed to all men. So men are without excuse. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Verse 15, John bore witness. You might underline that. He came to bear witness, and the Scripture tells us he bore witness. He accomplished what he was sent to do. He was a man called, just like you and I, our men and women, called. He was called by name, which means he's known you and I, we are called by name, which means what? We are known of God. 
We're known by God. Hallelujah. John bore witness of him. How are we doing? How are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing individually? How are we doing collectively? It's an important question. John bore witness of him and cried out. You know, it was St. Francis of Assisi. Assisi. You know where he got that name. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) I won't even go there. I had a joke and I'm leaving it alone. (laughs) Best left unsaid. It was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I'm here to tell everyone it's necessary to use words, to boldly proclaim. John cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, which means already you see the historicity that he has already been declaring. He says, this is the one whom I have said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Jesus is John's cousin, half-cousin, if you will, cousin, and John is older than Jesus, physically. He says, look, he's preferred before me because he was before me. Again, emphasizing the eternality of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his deity. He is before me. Conceived after, but existed prior. That's a, that's a big deal. Okay. So we looked last week, this series, Come and See, A Man Called, John, two attributes of the called. This was last week's sermon. The first was sent by God. One attribute of those of us who are the called in Christ Jesus. We are sent by God. So just say that with me. I am Sent by God. Come on. Oh, you don't have to say that. Come on. (laughs) Number two, the second attribute of the call. We're sent with a purpose. And our purpose is to bear witness to that light, just as John did. Does that make sense? And we can ask ourselves those questions again, but you have to watch last week's message online. Okay, here we go. We're now coming up with, we've seen two attributes of the called. Now we're going to see two attitudes of the called. Two attitudes of the called. And I inadvertently covered my phone, so I have no idea what time it is. I'm moving it over. There we go. I like it. Thank you, guys. You're so good. Okay, two attributes of the called. Remember John... As you get, if you read ahead a little bit in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3 and verse 30, he makes this declaration. John the Baptist makes this declaration. I must decrease. He must increase. He must increase. He must increase. The first attitude, honoring Jesus. Honoring. You and I, like John, 
We're to have an attitude that honors Jesus. Honors Jesus. He, John the Baptist, was sent to bear witness of that light. You and I have been sent to bear witness of that light. How awesome. How awesome that we emphasize we are an Acts 1-8 kind of church. An Acts 1-8 church. Acts 1 and verse 8 says, you will receive power after that. The Spirit of God has come upon you and you will be. You can underline that in your Bible. And you will be. When God makes a declaration, you will be, what do you think he means? He means you will be. You will be witnesses unto me. You will be witnesses unto Jesus. So we get to be witnesses unto Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Then it goes on to say in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost from the guttermost to the uttermost. Does that make sense? From the worst of the worst of the worst to glory. Thanks be to God. Guttermost to uttermost. Witnesses unto me. He said in verse 15, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Again, who was the oldest here, John the Baptist or cousin Jesus? John the Baptist, Elizabeth was pregnant with John. In fact, so much so that when Mary arrives, John in her womb leaps for joy. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's exciting. In the womb. He was probably praying in tongues in the womb or something. I don't know. Something was going on, but he was filled with the Spirit of God from early. What does that also tell us? Life begins at conception because the Spirit of God will indwell a person. Hello. Hello. That has an impact on our stance when it comes to life. If God is for the sanctity of life, so are we. Thank you. That was an opportunity for all of you to say amen. amen. Come on. It's real. Politically, I absolutely do not care what you are politically. If you are a Democrat, a Republican, a moderate, a liberal, wherever you find yourself, conservative, I don't care what you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should vote biblically. Amen. Without a doubt. Amen. And at the top of the list should be life. Your stance on marriage. That was another opportunity for you to say amen. It's important. Marriage was God's idea. So he sets the rules. We do not have the right to change what God declares. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has put together, as Jesus later declared and added and said, let no man put asunder. That also tells us where we stand on divorce. There's probably a sermon series in here. Those were a couple of bonuses. We'll hit those at a later time. This is real stuff. This is real stuff. We need to stand biblically. If that's offensive to you, I recommend that you, if you are a believer in Jesus, you repent. Does that make sense? Come on. Okay, back to the sermon. Who was the older? Actually, Jesus. Because Jesus has lived forever. He is eternal God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God. The Son of God, Jesus. Honoring him. The magnification of the eternal Son of God. That's our opportunity while we're here and have breath to give glory to God, to give glory to God, to magnify his name, honoring Jesus. Listen, personally, are you honoring Jesus? Are you honoring Jesus when no one sees you because you're all alone? Are you honoring the Lord? Where the Spirit of God may be speaking to you internally in your heart. It does not matter what you're engaged in, what your thought processes are. The Spirit of God speaking to your heart. And you know right from wrong. You know good and evil. Are you honoring the Lord there? When there's conviction in your heart, are you listening to the conviction of the Spirit of God and responding in honor and saying, yes, I will deny my flesh and honor you. We need more honoring of Jesus in the privacy of our lives. In your thought patterns and in my thought patterns where no one sees in my heart, where no one sees. The reason, aren't you thankful, let me say it this way, aren't you thankful for the word of God? The word of God, the scripture declares, the Holy Spirit declares of the word of God, all of it is verbally inspired by God himself. And it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. It's going to reveal what my true motives are. Am I self-seeking or am I glory to God-seeking? Are you with me? Man, we need to listen to that word. We need to listen to that conviction. We need to listen and honor Jesus where the rubber meets the road. And you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm no different than you. We're just flesh and blood. Just like John was flesh and blood. I have thoughts. I have behaviors. I have a nature, a fallen nature, a carnal nature, just like you. 
The Bible tells us that there is nothing that has seized man except that which is common to man. Nothing's seizing you. You're not on an island. The temptations that you and I face, they were all common to man. In fact, John later tells us in his first epistle at the end of the book, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father. It comes from this world. And we face that kind of stuff. And so in the midst of those moments, how am I Excuse me, <clears throat> responding to the Spirit of God's conviction in my heart? Is that, are you with me? That's important stuff. And the beauty is if you're walking in disobedience in any, any area of your life, thanks be to God for his grace. Can I get an amen? amen? The penalty of sin has been paid for. Amen. This is so good. And so my response to that grace that is undeserved is to do things his way. Jesus, I'm going to do it your way bring glory to your name. Secondly, an attitude. We're to be humbled in Jesus. Humbled in Jesus. I must decrease. I must decrease. Hmm. Remember the text says John was not the light. He came to bear witness of the light. But he himself was not the light. And you and I, we are not the light. We're to bear witness of the light. That means we're to be reflecting the light, not reflecting us. Does that make sense? Just as Jesus makes himself of no reputation while he is here, John says, I must decrease. And like John the Baptist, you and I, we're to bear witness of the light because we're not the light. It's not about you and me. It's about Jesus. That's what I even heard Pastor Dennis pray it that way. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. Jesus. Remember Philippians chapter 2? This is a great text. I encourage you to read the entirety of the chapter. I'm going to read just an excerpt from it, uh, verses 3 through about 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Hello. Mm -hmm. Let nothing be done, right? Okay, so we got some work to do. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What if the church lived this way? I mean... That would be epic. What if I lived that way? My wife said, that would be epic. <laughs> She's nodding her head. She's like, yes, pay attention to your sermon. <laughs> it's real. Selfish ambition, conceit, all that stuff. Esteeming self over others rather than others over self. Okay, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, so don't neglect your interests. You can look out for your interests. The Scripture says that. But also for the interests of others. Hello. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, here's what I want you to see. Oftentimes, and I have been, I've done this before. I have quoted this scripture. Make no reputation for yourself. As if like while he was here, he was making no reputation for himself, which that is true. But that's not the context of what this portion of scripture is. This is the eternal God set it up from the very onset before he came in, the incarnation, the Son of God becoming flesh. He set it up that he would have no reputation. He set up the conditions wherewith he would be born. Consider the extremes to which God went ahead of time not let alone while he was here, ahead of time, to make himself of no reputation. The one who actually has a right to have a reputation, right? I mean, the next time you think you might have a right to have a reputation, I just want you to look at a leaf. Just look at a leaf and consider what's going on there. Most of us are like, I have no idea how this works. Not only does he know how it works, it was his idea. He made it from nothing. Then look at the different kinds of leaves just in your yard and wonder how photosynthesis works. Wonder for a moment how the molecular structure of the living thing has DNA in it. Think about DNA for a moment. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. He has a right for a reputation, and yet prior to his arrival, he made himself of no reputation. None. So much so that he came, the scripture says in Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. It was a purpose and a time for his arrival. It's fascinating. Even his physical genealogy He's adopted by Joseph. Now, gather that for a moment. He's born of a virgin. You think the people in the first century are like, oh, yeah, he was born of a virgin. Like, that, like that happens every day. Hello. You imagine Mary saying, you imagine the conversation Mary's having with Joseph? Okay, now, Joseph, I want you to just sit down for a moment because I have a little bit of news I need to tell you. I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it came from God. <laughs> I mean, Joseph was a righteous man. But you got to know he's probably going, let me get this straight. <laughs> let me imagine. Then imagine them telling the family, don't worry, mom, dad. Uh, we haven't consummated the marriage. And, and listen, this was, this, was, this was not like hidden news. It's not hidden. Read John chapter 8. The Pharisees, when they're talking about who their father is, he says, they say, well, at least we're not bastards. What's the accusation there? 
You're born out of wedlock. They didn't assume virgin birth. They assumed premarital sex, fornication. Who set that up? God did. At a time when women had less rights, second-class citizens. Even the scripture says in Mark chapter 6, this is Mary's son. It didn't say Joseph's son. It was Mary's son. There's derogatoriness in that. It goes on. I mean, he'll be called a Nazarite. If we knew the history of Nazareth, a little town some 55 miles away from Jerusalem, despised by the Judeans, despised. You hear it, Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Despised. Who set that up? He's from Bethlehem. But he'll be called a Nazarene because that's where they're going to go, into Galilee. Guess where that is? Samaria. They said, John chapter 8, verse 48, is it not true that we call you a Samaritan and you have a demon? I mean, Jesus set up the circumstances. The Son of God set this up. He made himself of no reputation. You talk about, I mean, think about this for a moment. Not only is he not in Bethlehem, he's known as a Nazarene, despised, but not only a Nazarene, a Samaritan Nazarene, hello. Jews can't stand Samaritans. They won't even talk to them. For crying out loud, when there's a man in the street, they walk by him. Important people walk by. And a Samaritan comes and helps this little Levite. This, these are, they're not, how is it you, a Jew, are talking to me, a woman in Samaria? He is like the lowest of low. And then we find out that he's from a woman who doesn't, didn't have a relationship with a man after marriage, it was something that happened before marriage. And she's claiming it was supernatural. He's like the lowest of the lowest of the low. Are you with me? Does that make sense? He set that up. He made himself considered to the extremities that God did. Listen, it's so fascinating. It goes even further than that. The genealogies that Matt was talking about two weeks ago. We have them in Matthew's gospel and we have them in Luke's gospel and certainly the eternal genealogy in John's gospel. But consider those gospels in Matthew. Matthew's gospel, the royal line. Well, <laughs> Joseph is of the royal line. Yes, he came from King David and Solomon and right on down the line, Rehoboam and boom, 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 up to Jacob, Joseph's dad. The problem with the royal line Jeremiah in chapter 22, I believe it's verse 30, he pronounces a blood curse on the king Jeconiah. So Jesus doesn't even have legal tender, if you will, legal royal right because Jeconiah is childless on the throne. So David's lineage seems to be stopped up in the royal line. Who set that up? Jesus and yet, Luke, Dr. Luke, tells us, it's okay, relax, we got this covered. David had another son, and his name is Nathan. 
And Mary's lineage was through Nathan, so much so that we understand that Heli was not Joseph's dad, was Joseph's father-in-law. And here's Mary. But wait, how can inheritance come through the daughters? you got to go all the way back to Numbers, where God makes provision for it. When there was a man of the tribe of Manasseh, whose name was Zeholophahad. Say that with me, Zeholophahad. This guy's a critical guy because he had daughters and no sons. And they need inheritance in the tribe of Manasseh so that the name would be carried on. And the daughters came to Moses and said, it's not fair. Our father had no sons and he died and we need an inheritance. And so God, Moses takes it to the Lord and the Lord says the daughters of Zeholophahad are right. And he sets up a contingency in the law that when there's no son born, that inheritance is transferred to the daughter. And if the daughter marries within the same tribe, the inheritance travels with it. Who'd she marry? Who'd marry Mary? Mary married. <laughs> Mary married in her tribe. Joseph was of the tribe of Judah. Mary was of the tribe of Judah. Apparently, Heli had no sons. Therefore, Jesus had legal right. But it's such an extreme way out here thing because he's making himself of no pedigree. He made himself of no reputation. Now look, if our Lord and Master master, went to such extremes to make himself of no reputation, how come you and I, we go to such extremes making a reputation for ourselves? Dear Jesus, convict our hearts. It is not about us. It is about him. It is about him. It is about him. And it is about only him. John got it. Jesus' testimony about John, not a greater man born of the daughters of, or the sons of man, sons of women. I'll get that sentence right. He was great. He got it. I must decrease. We live in a world that glorifies self-exaltation, self-promotion. And if you think for one moment you're exempt from it, just think about the last time you got in an argument with someone. Our first response is to rally troops. Hey, Josh, did you hear what Dan was saying? I mean, come on. He doesn't have it right. I do. You're on my side, right? And we rally people on our side because we're puffing self up. Where's Dan? Dan's like, which Dan, me or Alfonso? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? We rally troops. We do it in marriages. We find the kids and we download. Can you believe what your mother said? <laughs> Kim's like, what have you been saying to the kids? <laughs> I'm just saying we do it. There's a natural thing in the carnality of our nature to self-promote. That's why the scripture says, if you will be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Die daily, Paul said. He said, I mortify the flesh. I must die daily. 
take up my cross and follow him. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul wrote to the church. I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What about you? What about me? We're coming to the communion table. I told you we'd only get two points today. At attitudes, honoring Jesus and being humbled in Jesus. I, I, I pray today that we are humbled. I must decrease. You know, Paul got it also. You read on and go on to chapter three in Philippians. In fact, just turn in your Bibles real quick. We're gonna come to the communion table. We'll, we'll end a few minutes after uh, are normal. Philippians 3. Listen. Verse 3. For we are the circumcised who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Underline that. Have no confidence in the flesh. He said, although I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Then he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Are you following me? The loss of all things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You might do a little word study on what rubbish there is. It's caca, poo-poo, dung. His pedigree, he considered crap. What about you and me? My name is Dave. Yeah, you know, I played football in college, paid for my education, talked to the Denver Broncos, talked to the Giants, blah, 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 went into the steel industry because God told me not to play NFL football, as if I would have ever played in the NFL. But let me lead you to believe that I may have. So God called me out of this so I would just follow him. And then I went into the steel industry. Blah, 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 blah. I had this great position. Blah, blah, blah. We were the largest steel container manufacturing in the United States. Blah, blah, blah. I managed. Blah, 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 blah. Pedigree. Rubbish. Why do we do that? Self. It's not about us. It's Jesus. 
I'm going to invite those who are going to serve us communion this morning to come at this time. And I'm going to invite Pastor Tim from uh, Journey Church to come. We serve an open communion. If your faith is in Jesus, we would invite you to partake in communion. If your faith is not in Christ, come on up, Pastor Tim. If, uh, if your faith is not yet in Christ, the scripture encourages us to abstain from taking. But however, if today you realize, man, I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want to have my sin forgiven. I want to know my name is written in God's book. You, by partaking of communion today, you could be making that public declaration that my faith is in Jesus Christ and we would celebrate with you. The scripture says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Even though we have a sinner's prayer, you do not have to pray the sinner's prayer in order to be saved. The scripture says if you believe in your hearts, if you declare Jesus is Lord, you're saved. Thanks be to God. We would encourage you to tell somebody and let us know so that we can celebrate with you and help you on your journey of faith and your walk. So we serve an open communion and we're going to ask that you would hold the emblems. We're going to be standing in just a moment. We'll come forward. There's four of us up here or three of us that are serving. Fourth is behind us. He'll be down in a moment. And we'll make our ways to these center aisles, then make our way around the outside back to our seats, and then we'll hold those emblems until we can partake of them together. And we'll pray for each of them. We'll pray for the bread first. Pastor Tim will pray for that. Whoops, there's my juice I just spilled. That's exciting. Um, (laughs) It's not the first time you see the stains on the table up here. And then after we've prayed for the bread and have received the bread, we'll pray for the juice and we'll, uh, we'll receive the juice and we'll talk a little bit about them. Um, thank you very much. Will you stand with me this morning? The scripture encourages us to take spiritual stock when we come to the communion table, to take spiritual stock. Where are you? As we've talked about today's message, really one walk away. Is it about me or is it about Jesus? in my life? Is there some areas in my life that I just simply need to die to self more and promote Jesus in my life? To talk more about Jesus. If you want that, I just want to encourage you just to make those confessions to the Lord under your own breath as you come with the emblems back to your seat that you would just say, Lord, I need your help in this area. There's been a certain arrogance that I was even unaware of. When I see the extremes that you went to make yourself of no reputation, when I see the extremes that John the Baptist went to make himself of no reputation, ultimately, John the Baptist was martyred for the faith. Martyred for the faith. That's pretty extreme. When I see the extremes that God took, that John took, I see the extremes that the Apostle Paul took, who also martyred for the faith. Am I there? Are you there?